You're listening to the Pigskin Cafe, a podcast covering the wild world of college football. On tap for today are hot takes, controversy, and analysis on your favorite team. Pull up a seat and your host, Hampton Sipper, will be with you in three, two, one. And we are back. Welcome back into the Pigskin Cafe. I'm your host, Hampton Sipper, and I will be guiding you through another college football recap. We are a quarter, not a quarter, a third of the way through the season. And who better to recap college football week four than the correspondent at large himself, Graham Haney, and Big Papa Shep, Auburn Shepard. How are you doing tonight, guys? Y'all ready to rock and roll? Doing pretty dang good. How about you, Hampton? Man, I am ready not only to break down week four, but to preview what is going to be an epic week five of college football. But before we get into that, a couple housekeeping notes for you guys. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Play Action Pools, who has uh, hosted our Pick'em for both NFL and college this year. It's been really fun. Uh, It's getting very interesting. Kyle Edwards, our guy. Uh, the man who has a new nickname every week on the show. He's at number one with 19 points. Our very own Graham Haney on the show right now is in second, tied for second uh, with Stephen Phillips, a.k.a. St. Phil, uh, my guy Stephen, uh, with 17 points. And then right behind them, nipping at their heels, is Big Papa Shep and Swoge Suave, a.k.a. Legend, at 16 points. So getting a little tight after week four. Uh, I've rebounded a little bit after a abysmal week three of picking. I think I got three points last week, but I jumped up and got 10 out of the 15 games correct this week. So I'm riding high. Maybe I can ride it into uh, climbing them rankings a little bit more. Uh, but shout out to them. Go follow them on Instagram and Twitter and support all the great work they're doing. And a little bit of an announcement. All right. So I don't know if y'all saw. Well, I know y'all saw because Shep, you shared it. And Graham, I think you shared it too. But we put out on our social media pages yesterday a post encouraging people to share it for a chance to be a guest picker on a pod, uh, either our NFL pod or a college pod. And we will be announcing that by the end of the week for them to join us next week on the pod. So here are our contestants. I'll kind of read out real quick based off of who I remember uh, liking and retweeting it. We have uh, Stacy Blackwood, who was on here earlier, uh, talking a little Alabama football in August. Great guy at the Tide Talk podcast. His co-host, Jake Thomas, also entered in uh, to be a guest picker. Jimmy Stein, host of Locked on Bama and on three show with Clint Lamb. Uh, Jimmy's a great guy, great Alabama follow for you guys out there. And he has a chance to be a guest picker. Uh, Sam Gilmer, one of my good friends, has a chance to be one, along with Cole McDowell and Dalton Bradshaw. So that's about six people that uh, are looking to be guest pickers this week. So keep your eye out and we will make an announcement uh, about that by the end of this week. So with that, uh, with that out of the way, Shep, 
I know you were like me probably this past weekend, glued to the TV, watching some college football. From all the games that you saw, what was your biggest takeaway from week four of college football 2021? Man, I'm going to be honest. I think my biggest takeaway was actually wondering if Sam Pittman and Arkansas are really a team, like a force in the SEC West. Um, Watching their game, it was just really – it was like a tale of two different stories. And so you watch their game. They had, you know, three sacks. Um, They were in the backfield, seemed like, all afternoon. Um, One interception. So pretty – I mean, defense was steady, but it wasn't, like, over the top. Um, And then on offense, I mean, they only scored 20 points, which, I mean, you're playing Texas A&M, which is an SEC team. But really, from watching that game, um, I have I have kind of the tale of two questions here, and I kind of want to shoot it to Graham because I know he watched this game. Graham, do you think that Arkansas's defense is legit, or is it that A and M's offense is struggling that bad with Calzada as their quarterback? That's a good question, Shep. I definitely think you got to give some respect to Arkansas's defense. I mean. You know, Texas A&M has the talent to to compete with almost anybody in the country. They they've you know with Jimbo at the helm, they've been able to recruit really well. Uh, you know, have have at least a few playmakers. Um, you know, I like you know Weidermeyer, their tight end. Yeah, uh, they, they really do have some talent. Like I you know I like Isaiah Spiller mm-hmm. in the backfield, but Texas A&M's offense is not good. I mean, it, just 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 plain and simple. I I can like the pieces there. I I can like some of the food on the table, and still don't want to eat. You know, and so mm. um, I think Arkansas has some offensive talent. They have some defensive talent, but to me, Texas A and M has been so overrated. I mean, when you look at their like schedule, like we talked about last week. I mean, they played it really close with Colorado and nothing against Colorado, but they should not be in the same league as no. Texas A&M. And then they beat the brakes off of New Mexico and, you know, Bishop Sycamore and South Alabama tech, you know, like they're playing nobodies. And when they do play somebody that at least has a team that shows up, they play them close. So Texas A&M is not good. I, I they're I not, think, Hold Go on. ahead, Hampton. Go ahead. They're not good, or are they? Do you think, relative to the expectations that many had in the year, they've just been disappointing? Because I wouldn't say that they're not a good football team. I just think that they were people, you know, predicted them to be first in the SEC West. That prediction was a little off base, but I don't think they're not a good football team. What do you think uh, about that? Yeah, I, I'm kind of more of not on the good football team. I, okay. I think when, when, when I'm not going to say they're, they're they're not Vanderbilt bad. I mean, I'm not saying that. You know, yeah. I think I think they'll still win. You know, six games or so. But I, I mean, six when you think games? It, yeah, maybe so. I, I think that. Whoa. I, I think when you look at it, like when they play Alabama, you know, that's a loss even, to me. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, even, you know, LSU, I think LSU at least puts all, up some, you know, able to throw the ball at least in a way that's decent, um, you know. Woo, Graham, coming Ole in Miss, hot. Ole Miss is going to throttle them. I, I mean. Whoa, you know, okay. 
you know, maybe they maybe AM stands a chance against, you know, Missouri and South Carolina. And with the Auburn team we saw Saturday, we're not really sure, but man, I think that that was the biggest takeaway I had from it is it's not that you know, I, I think Arkansas is pretty good because they've played some good teams and, and had some quality wins, but Texas AM is overrated. And I think part of that overrating is when you look at Jimbo, who's won the national championship, I think people expect, you know, him to make, you know, have a top five, top 10 team every year. And with, with the quarterback play that AM has, and honestly, lack of, you know, playmaking ability by their, you know, offensive scheme, Texas AM just, to me, they're just not very special this year. And I think that, you know, when, you know, you look at it, the SEC could be up for grabs this year with Alabama replacing a lot, you know, Georgia, Florida, you know, Kentucky, Arkansas. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, even Ole Miss, I, I think that the SEC could be up for the grabs this year, but I definitely don't think that AM is going to be the team that takes it. I know that's a little bit of a hot take, but to me, like, that was the biggest takeaway I had from the game. Like, respect to Arkansas, respect to Sam Pittman, but I, I don't, you know, you know, Arkansas definitely competes in the West, but I don't, I don't see him being, you know, better than Alabama or Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And by the way, A and M played, I don't, I don't see them being, you know, anywhere close in that well, conversation either, Hampton. So, yeah, and that's and that's a fair point. And I want to, I want to touch on A and M, but we've got to start with Arkansas. Arkansas. No matter how bad we think A and M is relative to expectations going the year, Arkansas did the same thing to them that they did to their counterparts in the Texas Longhorns. They went into Dallas, they played their game, they ran the ball down their throat, and were more physical than than Texas A and M. They just were, uh, and they're not intimidated. Even though Texas A and M has a far more talented roster. Sam Pittman has that team believing. Kendall Bryles on offense knows how to game plan around um, K.J. Jefferson's strengths. And Traylon Burks is a dude on the outside that went off in that game for, I think he had almost 170 yards on eight catches. Uh, So that part of the game, if they add that passing dynamic to what is already a potent rushing attack, I mean – I think Arkansas is arguably the third best team in the West, if we, if we're being honest. Uh, after Alabama and Ole Miss, I think they're the third best team. Their defense does such a good job of just playing sound fundamental football, and they tackle really well. They're great in pursuit as far as like their relentless competitiveness. They're never they're never loafing. It's always full throttle and. You know, watching college football week to week, guys, I know we see teams that we kind of feel like, you know, they'll take the foot off the pedal against an inferior team. They won't play as hard. Every time I see Arkansas, they are giving it their all, and they are playing like their heads are on fire. And I just think we got to give credit to Sam Pittman and that coaching staff. And while I don't want to spoil my pick uh, with them going to Georgia this weekend, I'll tell you this much. They're not going to be intimidated, and they're not going to back down to Georgia. And I don't think even Georgia has more talent. I don't think they're just going to flat-out whoop Arkansas on the lines of scrimmage from a physicality standpoint because of the way Arkansas was built and the emphasis that they put on that. So hats off to them. I'm worried a little bit about K.J. Jefferson being banged up. And I think 
that was the only thing standing in the way of that game being an official blowout was him getting hurt because the Malik Hornsby kid came in and he could really run, but there was no threat of the pass. So A&M's defensive game plan could kind of, you know, shift to not having to account for the pass and bring an extra guy down the box. And I think that limited them offensively. But if he doesn't get hurt, I think, I think they went by like 21 points, maybe. Maybe three touchdowns. I mean, they were that dominant in the first half of that game. And, uh, Shep, I know you want to ask me a question, but before I kick it over to you to do that, I want to touch on A&M. And, Graham, I, I'm not as low on them as you are. I don't. I think they'll win more than the six games. But at some point, are we going to have the conversation about Jimbo? Mm, I mean, are, are I think I did. Have, you did. But, I mean, for real, at, at a national level, the guy has not done anything spectacular since Jameis Winston was his quarterback. And I hear all the time about how great of a quarterback guru, a quarterback whisperer he is. Look, Haynes King got hurt against Colorado, and I hated that for him. Hey, any kid to get hurt. But did he look like an all-star against Kent State where he threw three picks the week prior? And did he look good against Colorado before he got hurt? Absolutely not. And then you get Calzada in the game who looks, I mean, deer in headlights look at you know, at the time. Terrified. Terrified. I mean, their offense looks inept. I know they've had some injuries along that offensive line, and they've had to shuffle that around, which makes things difficult to game plan for. But you're still – you got talent. I mean, you mentioned Spiller. You mentioned Watermeyer. You mentioned – I don't know if you mentioned him, but Anaya Smith, number zero for him. Desmond DeMoss, he's a good receiver on the outside. Like you've got talent there that you should be – if you're a quarterback guru or quarterback whisperer, I mean, Lane Kiffin made Blake Sims almost – I mean, he made him SEC player of the year, and he was a converted running back. And so I hear all this stuff about Jimbo this, Jimbo that. I think the guy can recruit. But other than Jameis, what has he really done at a consistent level, especially at A&M, to warrant all the flattery and all the talk that he gets? Uh, So I think they're going to regret giving him that contract, another, you know, 10-year extension, $90 million. I think they're going to regret it because I don't think he's ever going to – get to that level where he can beat Alabama consistently because I believe it was 20, let's see, 2020, we Alabama played at home versus them. 2019, I remember 2019 was the year that Texas A&M was going to upset Alabama. That was the year because they were experienced. Kellen Mond um, was going to be a junior. And they got blown out by 20. Last year, they got blown out by 28. So what? at what point, and they had a pretty good year last year. I give them credit. After they played Alabama, they had a pretty good year. But at some point, you got to get over that hump. And then this year was supposed to be, oh, this is the year they leapfrog Alabama. And I don't think that's going to happen, especially with them losing Arkansas. No, that was long-winded, but at some point, we got to hold Jimbo's feet in the fire. And, Shep, what do you think about that, and what question did you have for me? Yeah, so uh, thinking about that, I think I mean I think it's all very logical. I mean, you really think back on Jimbo's career, and really the only quarterback he's ever really had is Jameis Winston. That's really been good. I mean, you can look at Kellen Mond; he's pretty much just an average 
um, college quarterback, probably a little Kellen, above average. Kel, um, let me interject real quick. Kellen yeah. Mond was the same player as a freshman when Kevin Sumlin had him that he was as a senior pretty much. Other than as a senior, he was a little more consistent. But for the majority of his tenure, he was a roller coaster up and down. You didn't know what you were going to get each and every week. But continue. Yeah, so, I mean, thinking on on Jimbo's QB history, he really hasn't been able to recruit a, a seems-like solid guy. I know Haynes King um, was was highly you know, touted, highly touted five-star. I mean, he, he looks like he could be pretty legit, um, but you really have Jameis Winston. So just playing devil's advocate here, do you think if Texas A&M – had a guy like, let's just say Matt Corral, who is a, a very good quarterback in the SEC West. Let's say you take Matt Corral and put him on Texas A&M. Are you willing to say that they're contending no. with Alabama for a top spot in the West? I do not, and this is why. And this is something that I mentioned last year with Kellamond after they played Alabama. I don't think that Jim, Jimbo would have tried to fit Matt Corral – into his system and not really catered to what he does well, which I think Lane Kiffin has done a beautiful job of crafting a game plan of the RPO passes over the middle, using his athleticism to get him on the edge. I don't think Jimbo would have done that as much. Not saying that he didn't allow Kellen Mond to run or run the read option, or run the RPO, but I don't think he would have, done it to the extent that would have been necessary for Matt Corral to be the quarterback that he is. And I think Matt Corral needed a little bit of development. Guys, he's a senior. Yeah. I know it doesn't really like it doesn't seem like he is. You know, it seems like he's a younger player, but it took a little time to develop him. And it took he didn't do anything before Lane Kiffin got there. Lane Kiffin is what unlocked Matt Corral. And I think that Jimbo would – I think he would have had more success with him than what he has on the roster currently. But do I think they would have beat Alabama? Absolutely not. Graham, what do you think about that? And how about you wrap us up with your final thoughts on Texas A&M and Arkansas before we move on to our next takeaway for the weekend? Sure. I, you know, Shep, you talk about Matt Corral being on you know Texas A&M. I would, I would be a whole lot higher on A&M if they had a quarterback with the kind of arm talent that Matt Corral does. Uh, but one thing I think that we're kind of forgetting uh, to mention is uh, Texas A&M's poor run defense. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Arkansas ran for over 200 yards. I mean, I think you know before this game, uh, you know A&M was giving up like you know um, 100 over 170 like yards a game or 188 something. or something. Yeah. Yeah, something, yeah, something crazy like that, and and then you know Arkansas, like their bread and butter is running the football, and so you know with KJ Jefferson has a has a decent arm, but he's not the guy that's gonna throw for 500 yards. They're gonna run the football first, and then they're gonna make uh, throws based off of the play action you biting on those uh, th- those run fakes and stuff like that. And I think that you know Hampton, you know, just to kind of put a bow on it, I think the you know the reason I'm kind of down on A and M is that. You know, if you're giving up 180, 200 yards a game on the ground uh, to your opponents, there's going to be a good amount of teams in the SEC West, with the exception of maybe LSU, uh, that are going to at least take advantage of that and run the football down your throat and keep doing it and keep doing it, keep doing it until you stop them. And so, um, 
you know, I think that we've talked a lot about the, you know, Texas A&M's offensive struggles, but we also got to remember that this defense mm-hmm. uh, isn't as lights out as uh, people like to believe and, you know, definitely not a championship defense at that. So I think that kind of wraps up our A&M uh, Arkansas conversation. Great win mm-hmm. by Arkansas and the fighting Sam Pittman's two and oh against, well, actually three and oh against teams and uh, teams in from Texas. Texas this yeah. Year. So uh, you got to love the turnaround this year and the, uh, the way that the Sam Pittman train is headed in uh, in Arkansas. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll make one more quick note. Talking about their run defense, Graham, this is a defense with nine returning starters with a first-round pick supposedly in DeMarvin Leal. You got Shamar Turner, too, a stud freshman that they got um, from this past cycle. I mean, there's a lot of experience. There's no excuse for them giving up almost 200 yards on the ground. And that's one thing. And Again, kudos to Arkansas, like you said. They gotta they better back up the Brinks truck to make sure they keep Sam Pittman, Kendall Bryles, and Barry Odom. Because that three-headed monster, that tip of the spear is working for them and might ride them for many, many years to come if they can keep that trio together. So great win by them. Excited to break down their matchup with Georgia later in the show. Now, here's my big takeaway. And my little glee from college football week four. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. I don't know if y'all remember, but after Clemson lost to Georgia, first game of the week uh, of the season, and I told y'all, we were talking about playoff and all this stuff, that there's not a guarantee that Clemson might not lose that won't that Clemson will not lose another game until the playoff and that they were going to go through the regular season unscathed. And I said that because I saw too many things in that Georgia game that were red flags and that were issues that were not going to be resolved just simply this year, just simply through a quick little fix. Like there are legit personnel issues that I saw that were wrong in that Georgia game. And in week two, I think they played they played a no-name and blew them out. But week three, playing Georgia Tech, who they only beat 14 to 8, those issues arose again. And Georgia Tech, while I like what Jeff Collins is doing over there, they're no juggernaut. They don't have the dudes that Clemson does. So that was another red flag. Well, they go on the road to NC State and Guys, I know the score was 27-21. I get that. But had the fashion that NC State dominated this game, it could have been way worse. NC State threw for 238 yards. They ran for 148. Clemson had 214 total yards. This is Clemson, and they played overtime. This is overtime stats, too. They only had 214 total yards. NC State had 31 first downs. Clemson had 10 the entire game. And what we saw is Clemson's issues of recruiting the offensive line, their inability to recruit that position at an elite level is catching up with them. That offensive line is not good. And they got dominated. I mean, they obviously got dominated in the Georgia game, but they 
I mean, they got dominated against um, NC State, who has inferior talent. All right, here's another issue. Their receiving core. While Justin Ross is a good player, I like Josephine Gata. think he did pretty well. He didn't have a great game this last week, but he played well against Georgia. They lack receivers that can create separation. And in this new age of college football, I would rather have receivers that can separate on RPO-type plays and deep shots than a 50-50 jump ball guy. And when your main 50-50 jump ball guy is coming back from a major injury that kept him out out last year, that's an issue. And so all their receivers are kind of the same guy. They're all really tall and can catch 50-50 balls. There's not a Hunter Renfro. There's not an Amari Rodgers. And that's an issue when you don't have um, multiplicity in your wide receiver room. So that's two issues that I mentioned. Their defense, uh, I like their defensive line. Brian Berzee out for the year. Hate that for the kid with torn ACL. Uh, Miles Murphy's a good player. Uh, Trenton Simpson is a solid linebacker for them. But the issues with linebacker play, especially they're good against the run, but in pass coverage, they're they're just not very effective. Same thing with their secondary. Uh, not very effective players other than a couple. Um, they've got a couple good boundary corners this year, but I think their safeties, if you get them in one-on-one matchups, it's game over. Uh, and I think that's an issue. And then finally, DJ Uliangale has been terrible. And I think part of that is a product of the offensive line. And part of that is the product of the offensive scheme that I think people are kind of latching on to because their scheme is very much bubble screen, short passes, um, you know, very RPO based. And I think people are kind of catching on to what they've been doing because they've been doing the same thing for eight, eight or so years, probably ever since Tony Elliott has been their coordinator and there hadn't been any evolution. And when you don't have a Trevor Lawrence and you don't have a Deshaun Watson, who I think Deshaun is better than Trevor, and I maintain that, but Trevor was still a very good college player. Those schematic issues coupled with talent and personnel issues are magnified even more. And here's another thing. Clemson may not be done losing games. They might not be losing game or may not be done losing games because they play Boston College this weekend, who looked really good against Missouri, and there's no guarantee that they go up against them and beat them. So, like I said, there are personnel issues, there are scheme issues, and Dabo's got to look in the mirror and do a real good, thorough examination of that program because a lot of things have to change before this season gets truly out of hand. And guess what? There's a real chance of that happening. So I know that was a long-winded conversation, but that's a lot to lay out because there's a lot of layers to it. Shep, what do you think about – what did you make of Clemson laying an egg against NC State? And not really – and the thing is, it wasn't a fluky loss like they had five turnovers and, you know, a ball popped up in the air and you had a, you know – Miracle at Jordan Hare moment. They got thoroughly beat. 
I mean, they were outplayed and outclassed in every way. What do you, what do you make of this? And what do you make of the things that I kind of laid out as being core issues within that Clemson program? Uh, well, I think, you know, obviously, I mean, they they went into double overtime with NC State, but NC State missed three field goals. So, yep, like, yep, let's, great point. Let's, let's not act like, I mean, they were even in the game. They shouldn't have been in the game. I mean, that's nine points. So, it's really um, – Really, it just like it's mind boggling to think that a team like Clemson, who has been a honestly, let's be let's be real, a top five team for really what the past like eight years, ever since the college football playoff kind of started. Um, yeah, since 2015. 2015. I mean, like, I mean, you're coming up on almost a decade of or a half decade of really solid football team that is basically like, okay. They're in the ACC. They're coming out each year. And now this year, I mean, they scored two touchdowns against Georgia Tech. I mean, they, they kicked a field goal against Georgia. Like, I think Clemson's biggest problem is they don't have a running back. They have no running game right now. And ETN look, was a big loss for him. Absolutely. And ETN, I mean, he was, he was literally a do-it-all back, catch passes, run hard, runner, like – Man, dude, once once he gets healthy, Jacksonville could have some more hope pairing him with James Robinson. Um, but really thinking about Clemson, I mean, they're averaging eight penalties per game. They're only scoring 22 points per game. And mm-hmm. so, like, three touchdowns, are we going to be serious? Like, a high-powered offense is scoring three touchdowns a game. And they're, they're leading rusher. Let me just read you the name of their leading rusher. And you just tell me if you think this is the name of a leading rusher on a top five team in the country. Will Shipley. Now, God bless that man. Don't know him. He's a freshman. Okay. He is leading their team with 44 rushes for 211 yards. Granted, he's averaging almost five yards a carry. I'll give him that. But let's be honest here. Like, they don't have a solid run game. And when you don't have a solid run game, you're going to rely on the pass. How many receivers does Clemson have? They're really only working with Justin Ross, and he was out last year. Um, you know, so he's like just finally getting healthy. And DJ, bless him, I don't know if he's worried about being a bouncer now or what. I don't know if he had those, you know, those games last year that um, he, he got to come in for Trevor Lawrence and he was that guy. And, you know, um, he just – he was throwing balls all over the field, and it looked like there was no drop-off. I don't know if he, he let that get to him. You know, he got all those chains. I don't know if he's all worried about Fansville, but I think it just boils <laughs> down to Clemson not having a running game. And, you know, when you have to – when you have to rely on a true freshman in your running game, that's scary. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's just really scary. Well, let, let me add to your point, though. Dabo was hyping up Will Shipley to the nth degree in the preseason, talking about how wonderful he was and how like, he was one of the more impressive freshmen they've ever had. And while I think part of it can be blamed on his inexperience, I would point the blame and the finger at their lack of a running game at that O-line. That's the culprit to me. For not, sure. Not really the running back. It's that O line and his ineptitude of recruiting that position at a good enough level to compete. Because even when they were winning championships, 
they didn't recruit that position that well, but they had some senior-laden guys who they had developed along the way that they were good enough, and they schemed around it. Well, now they don't have those other pieces in place to account for that bad O-line, and so they're getting exposed even more. But continue. I just wanted to add on add on that point to provide a little more uh, context. No, you're good. I, I definitely think that that does play a part in it. I, I think one thing, they're, they are a young team, um, which I don't really understand how you can be a young team if you've really been a powerhouse. You're, you kind of have guys waiting to kind of step up for their moment. Um, but, but let's see, Graham, what do you think about their O-line? Do you think it's just the O-line? Do you think it's just they've, they've gotten so hyped up that they've kind of forgot their philosophy of who they are? What do you think is going on there? Yeah, I think the biggest problem with Clemson's offense has to be their offensive line. I, I don't like their scheme either. Like, let me just start start there. Their scheme's the biggest problem. Their mm-hmm. scheme's terrible. You know, it, it their scheme just in – it has no response to when, like, the players on offense are losing one-on-one battles. Like, if you don't have elite playmakers on the outside – you know, be able to beat cornerbacks like they were able to do a few years ago, have elite running backs that are able to, you know, make that cut and uh, beat the linebackers, Mm -hmm. offensive linemen, being able to win those one-on-one matchups against good defensive linemen, linebackers, blitzes, whatever. Their scheme can't answer that. but Which is what happened against Ohio State in the playoff last year. Absolutely, absolutely. And Dabo, honestly, you know, with recruiting offensive linemen, Hampton, you brought up like a great point. He he hasn't really gotten you know elite offensive linemen since Urban Meyer left Ohio State. I mean that that's the the truth of the matter is that mm-hmm. he was able to get those Ohio products like a Jackson Carmen that was a five star offensive tackle from Ohio, just and not say really much about well you should come to Clemson because of blank. He was just saying well you just shouldn't go to Ohio State because you don't know who's going to be the coach in a year. And I mean I guess he was right. You got to give him credit for that. But yeah that. That offensive line is very sus. I mean, in this ACC in general is garbage. I mean, it's bad. Garbage. It, it is. It is not good at all. I mean, you look at it. The only two ranked teams in the ACC in Week Four was Clemson at number nine and North Carolina at twenty-two. Who didn't they get? Who they get beat by? Wake North Forest? Carolina just got throttled. They got the score run yeah, up they on did. by Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Oh yeah. Uh, who? Hey, who, shout out to Jeff Collins, who I just mentioned earlier. I, Hampton, I was waiting for you to say something about it. Like, and and Georgia Tech earlier in the year lost to Northern Illinois. I mean, yep. No disrespect to them, but they shouldn't be on the same playing field. And then that same team went and run up the score on North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this ACC t- the league in general is not very good, but I will tell you one thing, and you heard it here first. Best team in the ACC, Wake Forest Demon Deacons. That's mm. why I mentioned Wake Forest. Wake Forest, yep. they, they have that offensive firepower and creativity that Clemson needs. I mean, when you look at it like schematic-wise, Wake Forest to me has to be the best team uh, in the ACC. I mean, Bo- Dave Clawson. Boston College either. Yeah, Boston College good too. I like Hampton, you know, me and you talked about this off the show a little bit, you know, especially with kind of the way that I was picking is, you know, Boston College is a good team. I'll give them that. But with losing Phil Dracovich, uh, their starting quarterback to hand surgery, you know, I, I just don't think that that's their best team. And, you know, yeah, they did get by Mizzou at home, but I think they probably got, you know, 
they, they, I don't think they'll be able to finish the season undefeated. But Wake Forest, I'm not saying they're going undefeated, but Wake Forest is the only hope for the ACC because not only and do that's I think not they're good. <laughs> n- not only do I think they're good, but they have that offensive sexiness that like the college football playoff Ooh. committee is going to look for. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, if you're looking at like, oh, it's Boston College, who's a you know traditional you know pro style I formation run up the middle type of team, or Wake Forest who has that creativity. I, I think if you're the ACC, you got to hope and pray that Wake Forest can stay undefeated and maybe run the show. But the ACC not looking good, especially with Clemson now have two losses. Mm. I mean, it, it, it is, uh, it is mighty rough for uh, Dabo and the Tigers, but Hey, last thing I'll say, Dabo is always the best kind of coach when our backs are against the wall. The redemption. Yeah. The oh. redemption, the redemption Clemson that that's always when Dabo seems to get the best out of his team, but, I, I, I just don't. Out. Th- this 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 just this just isn't Clemson's year. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, the scheme's the biggest problem. But when that offensive line is just not catching up, I mean, I like NC State. We talked about it a few weeks ago that whenever they played Mississippi State, they ended up losing to Mississippi State, and that was kind of a big kind of gash. They got throttled by yeah. NC State or Mississippi State. Mississippi State. They got yeah. throttled by them. And so I, I'd kind of put my hope and my trust in North Carolina State to have the year with Dave Doran, but this just it, it just wasn't – it didn't work out, especially with the way mm-hmm. the Mississippi State looked against LSU. But Clemson, uh, they, they just got to – they got to hope and pray that the season goes by quick because uh, I, I think that uh, it's not going to be a whole lot more – whole lot better than what it is, you know. There's, yeah. There might be a couple more losses on that schedule when you look at it. Right. I totally agree. And to finish it all up, I don't think that they're done losing. I think the answers to their issues are not on this roster currently. And all the rest of this year should be about is preparing for 2022 and retooling and regrouping for that run. Because I don't think as far as the expectations they had going into the year – the season is not salvageable, and Dabo has a lot to change. And it'll be interesting to see if he actually changes his philosophy when it comes to scheme, like that we beat a dead horse about, recruiting the O-line, and even recruiting the transfer portal. Because I heard Josh Pate, um, our guy at late kick on 247, who we had on the pod early, uh, early this season, he talked about on his show, Dabo doesn't recruit the transfer portal. He hadn't. Like, he's spoken against it almost. Well, he better start utilizing it. Because he if get, he did Go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying if he doesn't, then the issues on the O-line aren't going to be fixed in one recruiting cycle. It's going to take It's going to take years. Now, if you get a couple of immediate transfers, then it's a different ballgame. But go ahead, Graham, really quick, and then we'll go into players of the week. You got you got to plug in some holes and you got to plug some pieces in with this offensive line. If Clemson is going to stand a chance with DJ Uungale as their quarterback. The, you know, yeah. the running game just ha- hadn't been it, and it'll be fun to watch this week. Clemson's taking on Boston College. In college, yeah. Boston College. Uh, it's at home. It's Clemson's homecoming, but uh, there might be a rude awakening. So there might be when the, all of Clemson's problems. Unfortunately, there isn't flex seal to just mm-hmm. slap on and fix it. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a longer process than that. 
For sure. And with a team like Clemson that's, you know, had so much success the past few years, I mean, if Clemson loses again, you're going to hear fire Dabo. I mean, that's just the possibly truth. that's what you're going to hear is because whenever you have you set such a high expectation and you're, you know, you have even an off year, which everybody kind of deserves one every now and then, um, you know, then people would people just turn on you and then it's, you know, yeah. Dabo's washed, you know, all this kind of stuff. So and I mm-hmm. think that would speak to all of our points. So, um, yeah. We're not calling to fire Dabo. We're just no, saying that that's no. what that's what the people are going to say. So yeah, no, that's absolutely. all I got to say on Clemson. That's that's the be all end all. They got to get some dogs that'll hunt, especially with that offensive line. Mm-hmm. If they just no. stand a chance the next couple of years. I yeah, I agree, Graham. Great discussion on that, and we'll move on right into players of the week. After uh, I mean, I think that was a great breakdown of that Clemson program and. It's not all sunshines and rainbows over in Yabba Dabba Dabbo. So we'll move on to players of the week. Uh, Shep, give me your player of the week really quickly before we kind of move in to previewing this week for college football. Yeah, so this week I really like Arkansas's wide receiver, Traylon Burks. Um, yep, dude, had, dude had six receptions, 167 yards, and a touchdown. Really helped them really solidify themselves in the passing game, to be honest with you. I mean, he's got over – two-thirds, nearly three-fourths of K.J. Jefferson's passing yards. So He's I, a I dude. Think he yeah. Dude, he, he can play. He's a stud. Graham, who you got, man? Real quick. Yeah. Hey, hey, Shep, you talk about some stats. I got some stats for you. Right. Vanderbilt quarterback Ken Seals, two no. for nine, <laughs> point nine yards. He didn't even throw for a whole yard. Well, that's impressive. How is that, that possible? That was an it was his average, but you gotta uh, try for that. He threw I mean, for eight. He threw for eight yards in total and uh, had one interception. That's just that's just the stats. I mean, definitely not him. Player of the week. Georgia defense. They all get player of the week. I mean, they almost had as many points as uh, Vanderbilt so did. Yards. Yeah, and uh, we all know that Vanderbilt is really bad. Like. Or Bad. according to Suave, they're a pretty good football team. Hey, hey their just... team GPA's high. <laughs> I, I mean, I probably wouldn't even buy that. I mean, I don't think this team can run up the score on anything. I mean, oh, I, I don't even think this Vanderbilt team could run up the score on Madden, and it, it's that bad. But uh, Georgia, you know, I got to give them my player of the week. You know, it's a whole team unit, but anytime you can shut out an SEC team, it's, it's a big deal. And so uh, – and you know, got to give credit to Georgia for not overlooking a team like Vanderbilt. So uh, zero points, lots of turnovers. Uh, that's what you like to see. So Hampton, mm-hmm. take us home with your player of the week for week number four. Great picks by both of you. I'll make mine short and sweet. I'm giving it to the guy who broke both records for his football team history, you know, the university history, and – his conference's history, and I'm talking about Mr. Jamison Williams, a.k.a. the Jet. The man took the opening kickoff 100 yards to the house. Then he had an 80-yard, 81-yard touchdown catch from Bryce Young in the second quarter. Then, to top it all off, he had another 83-yard kickoff return in the fourth quarter. It looked like he was shot out of a cannon impressive impressive player very explosive elite speed jameson williams is my player of the week and i look for him to have another big week this week 
welcoming the Ole Miss Rebels into Tuscaloosa. And with that, we will get right into our college football week five preview. And I just got to take a moment. I got to take a moment to brag on me and brother Graham for a minute. Because, Graham, we killed it last week, dude. We killed it. We nailed the Notre Dame pick. We nailed the Arkansas pick. We had the gumption to pick them when a lot of people were picking the Aggies, including college game day. You yep. nailed your upset alert pick. Bick and Sick Baylor bears, Iowa baby. State. Sick them bears. Come Sick on. them bears. Impre- I mean, you na- nailed that. And, I, man, we were so close to having a perfect four for four because I picked Country Roads to take me home and the fight Neil Browns to beat the Oklahoma Sooners. And they almost did and would have if it weren't for that meddling snap that went over the quarterback's head. But, Graham, we did a great job. Yeah. Got to give us kudos. Hopefully we can translate that into another good week of picks. So how about we start off with what is an incredible um, slate of games. Just absolutely incredible. So we'll kind of go – I want to go through five games – I'm going to go kind of quick, except for a couple of them that I think we need to break down and analyze a little more. So Georgia and is hosting Arkansas. Game day is heading there. Both teams are 4-0. To me, and this is not hindsight 2020 with Clemson just because they lost to NC State. I told you all after that Georgia game, like I said initially, I didn't think they were that great of a team, even though that was an impressive win by Georgia for the first – week of the year playing kind of in Clemson's backyard. This is the first real test Georgia has faced where Arkansas has now faced two quality power five football teams. Shep, really quickly, man, do you think Arky and Sam Pittman pull yet another upset or do you think Georgia and their talent level is too much? Uh, I think just honestly, Georgia's talent level is just, they're a little further in the process. Um, so I take mm-hmm. them, but I, I think it. I think it's within ten points. So I think it's going to be a, a pretty close game, probably within, within seven. 10 points. If I had to guess, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Shep, I'm right there with you. I, I think last year, you know, whenever you know Georgia starting week one goes to Arkansas, the first week of the fight in Sam Pittman's, they almost got upset, and so I think that uh, you know. You know, Georgia knows that Arkansas is good this year, and they remember it from last year. So I think that uh, Georgia is going to take care of business uh, at home with uh, you know a little bit figured out more quarterback than they did last year, and that defense just get some dogs that that'll that'll fight on that side. I'd like Arkansas to keep it close, but uh, give me Georgia at home. Um, I think seven to ten is probably a good range, uh, but I'm going to go uh, Georgia by fourteen just. Just for a cause. Hampton, UGA, or Arkansas? The Sam Pittman old or the Sam Pittman new? Who you got? Man, I would love to pick Arkansas. Nothing would make me happier. I would too. I would too. Nothing would make me happier, but with K.J. Jefferson banged up, Traylon Burks was also banged up at the end of that game. I just think they're too beaten up at this juncture to really compete and really threaten this Georgia team who I think is immensely talented. And this Georgia team that is immensely talented is also getting back Darnell Washington to add with that Bowers kid at tight end who's been really good for them. And they're getting their starting star back with Tyreek Smith. I think it's in Georgia. I think there'll be too much for them. 
I'm with you. I'm thinking in the 14 to 21 range, Georgia wins. But like I said earlier, Arkansas will not get pushed around. Mm -hmm. They will not look like they don't belong on the field. I just think Georgia matches up with Arkansas's primary purpose, which is to run the ball and kind of bleed the clock. And I think with a hobbled KJ Jefferson, they won't be as effective at doing that. So give me the Bulldogs in this one by about 14 to 21 points. Next game we've got on the docket. We'll go outside of the SEC next. We'll go Cincinnati and Notre Dame. Guys, this one's a really interesting one because you could argue that the winner might just go undefeated the rest of the way and might be a potential um, team that is standing there at the end vying for a top four spot. And I know we really don't want to get into that, but whoever wins this game is going to be sitting very nice. Their seat, The rest of the season is in front of them. So, Graham, I'll go with you first. Who do you think wins this one? Do you think Desmond Ritter and that Cincinnati Bearcat offense can upset this Notre Dame team, who I will have to say they've looked up and down the first three games, but I was really impressed with what I saw from them against Wisconsin on Saturday. Hampton, this is the battle of the independent teams. Like The the team that can win this outside the Power Five conferences is going to come out of this matchup i think you know notre dame kind of plays a little bit of acc schedule but they're still kind of independent you know so i, I want to pick cincinnati I, I like luke fickle and i like desmond ritter but to me notre dame kind of figured it out on saturday you know they had struggled played a lot of close games and and you know they, they figured it out against wisconsin i think that you know with, with you know notre dame playing uh in uh in Notre Dame Stadium, big house. I got to go with Notre Dame. I think that you know uh, th- they'll figure it out. They'll find a way. I like Cincinnati. I like Desmond Ritter. Um, but I think that you know they were really good last year. They've kind of had a target on their back this year because everybody knows they're good. So they're not going to come up and surprise you. So give me Notre Dame at home. I-, I wish I could pick Cincinnati, but give me Notre Dame by ten. Ship Cincinnati. Desmond Ritter, Notre Dame, and Jack Cohn. Who are you going with, buddy? Yeah, man, I, I really want to pick Cincinnati. I know they're, they're a two-and-a-half-point favorite, um, but I just can't, man. I just can't put faith in Cincinnati. I mean, Notre Dame is Notre Dame, and when you look back on the legacy and history of Notre Dame, typically they don't lose until late in the year, and so that's what I'm banking on. I'm taking Notre Dame. I'm looking for it to be really like a four-point game. Um, I think it's going to be really close. I think Notre Dame pulls it out at the end. Uh, I really liked what I saw last week from them. So I feel like they're kind of moving back to the normal Notre Dame. Um, And so I'm I'm taking Notre Dame by four. Hampton, are you giving Cincinnati a, a real shot to win this one? I'm. I mean, I hate to be a broken record, but I'm with (laughs) y'all. I'm with the sentiment of I want to pick Cincinnati, or not that I want to pick them, but I want to say that they have more of a legitimate shot to win this game than they actually do. And I want, you know, I said earlier I was impressed with what I saw from Notre Dame. And I get Wisconsin is not an offensive fire 
you know, Firehouse or Juggernaut. Not, juggernaut, not Firehouse. I guess I'm hungry and thinking about Firehouse <laughs> Sub. Um, an offensive powerhouse, Juggernaut, whatever word that you want to say. I think Graham Mertz has been playing bad. Sorry, Graham. No offense to your first Good name, name though. Got to give him credit. Good name. But he's been terrible yes. ever since that first start he had last year. And I said that last week on the pod. He proved me correct because he, he was abysmal. But I think they're a tough team. I think they can run the ball well. And I think Notre Dame's defense, under the tutelage of Marcus Freeman. Kyle he, Hamilton. Kyle, ha- I was just about to mention, Kyle Hamilton is a certified stud. Yes. Top 10 pick in the draft type guy. And I think with him and that revamped defense, because they were mentioned on the broadcast that it took a little time, took a couple games for that defense to really figure out the change of philosophy that Marcus Freeman was trying to employ. And now I think they have a better grasp of that, and they're flying around. And um, I like how he disguises his blitzes. Uh, He mixes coverages well. I think he's a really – bright young coach um very very good coach and i like their offense i think they got some explosive guys whether it's kyron williams at running back chris tyree who had a kick return for a touchdown number four austin i think is his last name um hold on i got their roster pulled up how about i just tell you hey i was right kevin austin jr really like him and michael Mayer, baby gronk we mentioned him a couple Mm -hmm. times I think he's a really good player. I think he's an X factor. I like Notre Dame to win this game. And Graham, I'm with you. I like him to win from anywhere from 10 to 14 points. I just think Cincinnati has not impressed me that much this year. I know Desmond Ritter had a really good first game, but they struggle with Indiana. Mm-hmm. They've been a little up and down. And so is Notre Dame, to be fair. But I think Notre Dame at home uh, wins this game. Brian Kelly further cements himself as a top five to top ten coach in college football. And Notre Dame is a top five to top ten program. Arguably, I'd say they're a top five program. Kyle and I talked about that off air. Um, shout out to him. And I'm sure he'll be happy hearing me say that. But give, I think all three of us picked Notre Dame. All three of us picked Georgia. How about we maybe go to a game that maybe everyone doesn't pick the same team to win? How about we go to Florida visiting Kentucky this weekend Shep, do you think uh, the Emory Jones-led Gators go in to Lexington and take a game away from Kentucky to try to get back in that SEC East race? Because if they lose this game, that will be two losses to SEC teams and will make it harder for them to compete uh, for that division crown. Yeah, so, I mean, I for me, this is no question. I know Kentucky's – improved this year they look really good this year but i'm taking florida and i'm taking them by like 21 Whoa, Um, dude i'm telling you i I just think florida is is, i I think florida is pretty good um i I think you know they have a you know um just a solid team i mean their their quarterback play could be really good or could be really bad but i mean emory jones has looked (laughs) pretty good (laughs) Pretty. I mean, I think I got a, I got some faith in Emory Jones after watching him. Um, he seems like he's not only a um, a very solid runner, but he seems like he can move the the ball downfield with his arm. So I'm liking Florida by by 21 here. Um, I know that's a shocker, Graham. I know you're big on Kentucky. Uh, do you think their rushing attack provides enough fuel 
for them to to take the win. I, I'll tell you, I, I think the Russian attack keeps it closer than twenty one points. I, I think that you know the spread's like eight and a half. Florida's the favorite there. You know, Hampton, we we've been high on uh, Kentucky this whole year. I think that we've liked the fact that Will Levis can throw the football and. Uh, Hampton, this one's a toss-up. Like I, it's just mm-hmm. it's tough, man. But I it's think tough. I gotta stick with our guns. I mean, uh, we we've been high on the Kentucky train, and uh, I think we gotta stick to it. Playing at home, this is the big game of the year for Kentucky, and uh, it, it's like six o'clock on uh, on ESPN. So I definitely think that uh, Kentucky is gonna be fired up to play, and uh, you never know with uh, you know how those Dan Mullen teams are, whether they're going to show up or not. The the kind of the stats of the game, uh, Kentucky gives up uh, only 87 and a half yards uh, rushing a game. I think if they can do wow. that, they can keep Emory Jones uh, and uh, the Davis and the Pierce running backs uh, in check. I, I think that really gives Kentucky a good chance to win. If you can make Florida throw the football, then – uh, that that'll give you a chance. Um, give me Kentucky by three points. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's going to be hard fought, and uh, Kentucky's going to pull it out of the end. Hampton, show me how much you really believe in this Kentucky offense, man. Come on, go Wildcats! Woo! It ain't even a question, bro. It ain't even a question. Oh, no. Kentucky is winning this game now. I'm not going to be a zealot like Mr. Shep over here and predict my team to win by like 21 points. I'm with you, Graham. I think it's a close game. But last week, Florida plays Tennessee. Tennessee ran the ball pretty effectively in the few um, few minutes, few uh, yeah, a few minutes of the game that I saw. Tennessee ran the ball pretty effectively on Florida, and Kentucky is a different beast running the ball than Tennessee with Chris Rodriguez, who's on pace for 1,500-yard season. He's been incredible. I love their offensive line, love their physicality. Cavassier smoke, great change of pace back. Will Levis off the play, with the play-action game, hitting deep vertical shots to our guys Wondell Robinson and Josh Ali. I think they're the difference. And Kentucky and Florida, this game is always close but the difference this year is that Kentucky has a little bit of that passing game threat that makes them that makes them dangerous. And I'm looking for Will Lowe's to have a bounce back game. He didn't play great against South Carolina, which was on the road in a hostile environment. I think he bounces back. I think Florida, like I said, I could easily see them winning. I think they're a very talented football team for all the reasons you mentioned, Shep. They can run the ball really well. Emory, I think, has improved. Dan Mullen's kind of crafted this offense to be more like a Dak-led Mississippi State-type offense with more run game incorporated, more quick passing game, and less like the offense that they had last year and the year before that with Kyle Trask. I like their running back, Damian Pierce. Jacob Copeland out wide. I like their tight ends. Their defense with Brenton Cox has been really Really good. Elam, their corner, um, he's a shutdown type guy, number five. Uh, I think they're a very talented football team, but with Kentucky being at home and that home crowd behind them and the other reasons I mentioned, give me Kentucky by four. 
in a barn burner of a game and a game that really, like I said earlier, will decide and play a pivotal part in the SEC East race. Now, let's shift over to the West for our final two matchups. We'll start with Auburn traveling down to Baton Rouge where they have not won since I was two years old. They have not beaten LSU in Baton Rouge since 1999. All right? So let me set the stage for you. Auburn last week, Auburn last week, they struggled with Georgia State, almost lost that game. Okay? Probably should have lost that game. The refs bailed them out with a call um, that was, I mean, they called a pass um, complete that was clearly incomplete um, that helped uh, help them advance the ball down close to the goal line. T.J. Finley scrambles on a fourth down play, makes the play for a touchdown, and they go in with their quarterback situation murky, to say the least. They've got Bo Nix listed as the starter, but T.J. Finley came in in relief. I thought he was all right until that last drive. I thought he was pretty good that last drive, moved the ball well, and interesting plot line. He transferred from LSU, so he's going back to where he they gave up on him pretty much in LSU and gave the reins over to Max Johnson. So that's an interesting storyline. Brian Harson fires their receiver coach four games into the year, which was a really odd thing. I don't think I've ever seen a coach do that. Um, and it was really odd when he said it was performance-based when there are other positions on that team that I don't think are living up to his like to performance standards, but he didn't get rid of them. I think they need to make a move to have as a scapegoat. That's kind of what it seemed like. And you know, it's kind of kind of an interesting move by Harson. Now, as uh, I was listening to J-Boy uh, earlier today, and he said, look, if you fire him and you go down there and win, greatest move ever. But if not, you've got even more, you've got even more problems on your hand. So I'm going to go ahead and give my pick before shifting it over to y'all. I just wanted to kind of set that scene because there are very – or not there are very, there are many – intriguing storylines to watch in this one. I've got LSU winning this game, and the main reason is Max Johnson and Kayshawn Boutte. I think that explosive passing game is the difference. Brian Thomas Jr. got a little more involved last week. He was my breakout player of the year uh, before the season began. I think they're getting him more involved, getting a couple of those other receivers a little bit more love. And I just think Auburn – I don't think T.J. Finley's going to go in there and light the world on fire because I think he's very up and down, kind of like Bo. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do there. I think if Auburn's path to victory is riding Tank Bigsby and because I don't think LSU can effectively stop the run with any consistency. But with them being at home, with Auburn not winning there since 1999 – and that explosive passing game threat. And Auburn's defense has really kind of looked suspect the last two weeks. Give me LSU. Shep, who you got in this one, man? Man, I, I want to pick LSU, but I just don't think I can. Uh, I just they, – they worry me a lot more than Auburn, and I really don't know why I feel this way. Um, 
But yeah, but say, so is there any like matchup thing that you don't like about LSU, or is it just a gut thing? It's just a gut thing. Like I, I think that um, that Tank Big Tank Bigsby and uh, Jarquez Hunter. I mean, I think they're two really good backs, and I think they're going to kind of fuel Auburn this week. I think that maybe we'll see um, Bo Nix early, and if he if he really can't get things going, I think T.J. Finley's coming in, and he's coming in with a vengeance. Um, having left LSU. So honestly, that's why I'm picking Auburn um, is because I think that TJ Finley will play in this game. I think he's going to play a good, meaningful role in this game. Um, I don't I don't know if that's going to be like a full half or, or the full game, um, but I think TJ Finley is coming back with a vengeance and he wants to show them the reason why he left and, and they doubted him. So um, I'm going to say Auburn by four. Um, Graham, what's your take? Uh, I, I think I'm with you, Shep. I, uh, Hampton, you talked about LSU's rush defense uh, being poor. I, I mean, I, I remember week one, and UCLA was running it down their throat. I mean, they were running it down their <laughs> throat, down back up their throat. I mean, it it, it was bad. So I, I think that Auburn, you know, especially playing a game like they did on Saturday where they just barely eked by, I think that, you know, I heard this from an Auburn fan that I talked to this week that it finally seems like there's at least somewhat accountability on the planes. Um, and not the fact that, oh, you, you your wide receiver coach deserves to be fired, so you get fired. It's when you don't play up to par, we have the expectation to win and to you know, win convincingly, especially against teams that we should. Um, I think that uh, Brian Harson is going to light a fire up on that team this week, and uh, Auburn's going to be able to run the football with uh, Tank Bigsby and, uh, you know, was that you know Jarquez? You know Jar- Jarquez Hunter. Yeah, Jarquez Hunter. I think Dead. that's a, a two backs right there. I think they take it. You know, out of you know whoever the quarterback is, T.J. Finley or Bo Nix going into that game. Uh, mm-hmm. I think if Auburn is able to run the football effectively, then I'm going to give them the edge, and I'm going to take Auburn by six points. Okay, I know they're going on the road to a tough environment, but you know it takes a whole lot less communication to to run the football than it does to throw it. So. So, I'm gonna go with Auburn. Real quick to clarify, real just really quick. You think you were fine with the fire because you felt like the receiving core is what needed to be changed, even though what the the previous staff had left over in that receiver room, I mean, the cupboard was bare to be to be quite frank. I mean, there I don't think there's any future first round picks in that room right now. And after you call this coach one of the brightest young coaches in all of college football and you fire him after four four games, you are you fine with that move? Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. But I'm just okay. talking from the people I've talked to, like the Auburn fans I've talked to. Ooh, the people I've talked to. Okay, yeah. Graham. The, the folks Sports I've had is- conversations with is that they – not that anybody loved the fire because, you know, it's – you know. One bad week, like I said earlier, everybody's kind of reaction. Everybody's kind of entitled to that, but it seems like it's you know with the Harzen you know regime in at Auburn, at least you know there's accountability. Like if something doesn't go right, we're gonna either make changes or get people in there that are gonna make changes. And so I wasn't you know big on the the fire because I don't really think the wide receivers was Mm. the biggest problem in that game. You know the the lack of talent at wide receiver is absolutely accurate. Uh, for Auburn, but I, I don't think you could blame that as much on a coach. I don't think no. a wide receiver coach affects the game as much of other as other coaches no. do. Uh-uh. Um, 
So I think it's probably he was probably the scapegoat. He was the easy guy out, like mm-hmm. you know, a new wide receiver coach. Like that don't really change a whole lot. Uh, but it just shows that team, like okay, whenever we like, even when we win, we have high expectations. So um, the people I talked to was it was well, big on accountability. So uh, you know, like I yeah. said, I, I think Auburn's gonna come to play. I think that you know, I don't think they're gonna run the score up on LSU, but I think that they know that they're you know their backs against the wall that they have mm-hmm. to fight or they're gonna be out of a job. So well. Um, that's kind of what I, I'll thinking. put. I'll put a bow on it, and I get the accountability part. I think that's coming from Auburn fans who are trying to spin the move in a positive light. Sure, because I'm all for accountability. If you're not doing your job off the field, or if there's some off-field shortcoming, like a scandal, and that was not the case in this instance at all, from what I've heard. And um, it's coming from pretty reliable people that that was not the case. And when you're just doing it as a scapegoat because you feel like, oh, we're not living up to expectations, then why isn't Derek Mason fired? Because that defense got carved up against Georgia State. That white running back looked like Derek Henry going crap oh, through a no, 10 he did. Style. You're wrong right for that. He did. He did. He looked like Toby Gerhardt reincarnated oh, going up Toby. and down the field. So why? I mean, why didn't he get fired? Why didn't the D line? You know, that's all I'm saying. Like, I'm I'm all for accountability. I think that's Auburn fans trying to be a little optimistic, trying sure. to spin it a little bit. No, I'm not, I'm not discrediting you. I'm just saying to those fans out there, that's kind of what I think. But yeah, it'll be interesting nonetheless to see what they do when they go down there. But guys, how about we get into the dang marquee matchup of the week? How about we get into? Ole Miss traveling to Alabama, Lane Kiffin and the Rebels, or, or the Black Bears, whatever their name is now. <laughs> Land Land Sharks. Sharks. Excuse me, I left out that one. I left out that one. They've got more aliases than Mark Twain. Uh, so they're traveling to town. They're 3-0, and coming off a of bye week. Matt Corral has had an excellent year. I don't think they played anybody worth a snuff yet. That doesn't mean I don't think they're a good team. I just don't think they've really been challenged the way Alabama, I think, has been challenged in at least two out of their four games. I know Miami has not been fantastic or great, but they're, I think they're better than any team Ole Miss has played to this point. So, Graham, really quickly, do you think Lane Kiffin is going to be the first assistant coach to beat Nick Saban, or do you think – Alabama is going to come out and kind of make a statement and roll over the Rebels in that a lot of this Ole Miss picking and pivoting is because people want this to happen, but not actual basis to kind of back up of them actually pulling an upset. Yeah, I think Alabama's got to be, they got to be on upset alert. I mean, you just got to be, you got to, you know, make sure you come to play because Ole Miss has the talent especially on the offensive side of the football too, you know, to beat Alabama, especially in a, in a home atmosphere. Um, but I, I think that, you know, Alabama is probably going to take care of business in the fact that, you know, Ole Miss had a bye week last week, so they're going to be coming ready to play. But the week before that, you know, Ole Miss took on the SEC champions uh, from like 1925 <laughs> and uh, really handed it to them. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss hadn't played the SEC champions in the past 20, you know, of the past 20 years like their biggest game of the year was louisville and you know louisville ain't the be all end all this year by any means they only so, beat florida state by like eight yeah 
They're, so, they're ter- I don't think they're that good either. Yeah, I, I think that you know Ole Miss has lots of talent, but I think Alabama, especially after they played them so close last year, they know that they can't overlook this game, and they know that you know with A and M losing last week, that it's down to Alabama and Ole Miss uh, to win the SEC West. I, I think Alabama is going to take care of business. I think the defense, not that it's going to be great. But I think it's going to be a whole lot better than it was last season against Ole Miss. <laughs> uh, I think we can just all hope that. Um, you know, Ole Miss's defense a little bit better, but uh, I still think Alabama has the the talent to uh, you know kind of carve it up. So give me Alabama at home. Uh, I'm going to take uh, 11 points uh, for Alabama and uh, Bryant Denny. Ship Alabama and a, a freshman Bryce Young. Or Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin, the fighting Ole Miss, just fill in the blank. Yeah, so I'm going to be honest. I'm really high on Matt Corral. Um, I really, uh, I remember watching him coming out as a senior and choosing Ole Miss, and really wondering why he never really got a real opportunity to play at Ole Miss. And there goes that man, Lane Kiffin. I mean, I don't know if y'all know how much of a troll Lane Kiffin is, but he shared a post on Twitter of him at um, L.A. Airport, um, and it just showed, like, the runway. Did y'all see that? I mean, the man – I did, yeah. The man is a legend. Um, with that said, he will be the first coach that has coached under Nick Saban to beat Nick Saban. But – I don't think it's. Year. I don't think it'll be this year. Um, I think what he's building is really good. Um, I think he really understands how to utilize the quarterbacks in his room, um, and it, it's really amazing to see Matt Corral really play the way he has. With that being said, I think Alabama's just too much this year. Um, I, you know, the spread's like fourteen points, um, but I, I'm taking Alabama by ten. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a nail-biter, kind of like Alabama dealt with against Florida, just because I think Ole Miss's offense is is better than Florida's. Um, I think it's going to be potential the potential to really be like a, a 40, 40 something forty something point game. Like it's going to mm-hmm. be it's going to be a shootout, and it's going to come down to who sustains the most drives in the end zone because field goals will not win this game and the team that loses is probably going to have to take some field goals. So Hampton, I'm taking Lane Kiffin to beat Nick Saban, but not this year. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a fair point, Shep. And I think it's a great point by you. I would not be shocked if Lane is the first to beat Nick and It'll either be him or Kirby, because I like we talked about Jimbo. I don't think Jimbo, I don't think Jimbo Jumbo Gumbo is ever going to beat uh, Nick Saban at Alabama unless something goes severely wrong. But I think Lane Kiffin, what he does from an offensive game plan perspective, him and Jeff Levy, they're kind of co-OCs calling the game together. They do a really good job of isolating matchups and putting your defense in a bind. What I mean by that is, like last year when they played Alabama, they did a wide split formation. So they would do a lot of two-by-two and get everybody kind of out of the box. And so you'd have your three or four down linemen and your two linebackers. And they would run 
RPO off that, and they would utilize their tight end. Sometimes he would be in the slot. Sometimes he would be in line. They throw behind. Um, they throw behind linebackers in front of safeties, or they would run the ball really effectively. That's one thing that's not mentioned enough last year with that wide split and kind of vacating the box. They were able to run the ball pretty effectively with Jerry Ely and Snoop Connor last year. And with Matt Corral's ability to throw the ball, they're going to be a tough matchup for Alabama, who has struggled at times with defending the running game early in the year and defending a quarterback who Matt Corral is a pocket passer, but the guy can run too. And they're definitely going to utilize his legs in this game. But they don't have Elijah Moore, who they lost last year and was a definite playmaker in that game. They don't have Kenny Yaboa. I think if they had those two guys, I might even be inclined to pick them. But I think their defense is better than they were last year. I don't believe they're at the point where they can consistently stop an Alabama offense who I think is finally hitting its stride. Bryce Young, I know Southern Miss, but he played incredible against them. And their new wrinkle on offense, the 12 personnel package, with Jaleel Billingsley being back, fully ingratiated back into the lineup, the things that they can do with both him and Cameron Latu on the field opens up the entire playbook and opens up the offense in a brand new way. It's a matchup nightmare for the defense because they're too big for safeties. They're too fast for linebackers really puts your defense in a bind and changes the way you have to play your personnel out there. I know they talked about on the broadcast, Southern Miss had to play a 12 personnel regular package and then a 12 personnel light, depending on if Jaleel was out there or not, because he's that type of X factor. And with Jamison Williams getting better and better, with Jace McClellan, and Roydell Williams, who had really good games this past week, offensive line starting to gel. I don't think the Ole Miss defense can consistently stop Alabama's offense, and I think Alabama's defense will get enough stops against that Ole Miss offense to win. I like Alabama winning by about 10 to 14 points in what will be a thrilling game, and I think Alabama pulls in, pulls away late third, early fourth, and uh, – will continue on with their season, but Ole Miss is going to definitely give them a little bit of a scare because of how Lane Kiffin can put you in bind in a bind as a play caller. So that is my thoughts on that game. And before we get out of here, so everybody picked Alabama. I think the only two games that we were kind of, you know, that we kind of differed on was Florida, Kentucky and Auburn LSU. And I know we're going to differ on these, but really, I mean, really quickly, guys, because we, we got to get out of here. Let's do some more upset alerts because that was really fun last week. And Graham, you nailed yours. I came really close on mine. So I'll start with you, man. Give me your upset alert for this week. And don't you dare take mine. Uh, I'll try not to take yours. But uh, if I do, then it's just twice the luck. If but, you do, I'll just go in with you. That's fine. Hey, last week, I took Baylor upsetting Iowa State at home, and it paid dividends. I mean, you know, Baylor came to play, really showed up, and uh, I had a great week of picking because of that. Yes. But this week, 
my upset pick. I've got I've got confidence behind me, Hampton. And this okay. this is a go big or go home kind of play. Okay. I'm going with a top five upset before Saturday. Don't you I, dare. I've got the Maryland, Maryland Terrapins, Terrapins taking it. down Iowa. Taking huh? down Iowa at home. I think this is this is such a good matchup because Maryland is four and zero. Iowa is four and zero. A Friday night, at, you know, a Friday night game. I think that you know, I, I think that you might have Iowa, you know, not really coming, you know, coming with all their fight uh, to Maryland. I, I got uh, Mike Loxley and Talia Tungavailoa, uh, the Maryland Terrapins, and their beautiful uniforms of all combinations over. Uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes. So, Hampton, if that was your pick, I'm so sorry. But that's the upset pick of the week. Maryland taking down number five, Iowa, at home on Friday night. Be on the lookout. No, that was absolutely was my pick, Graham. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, dude. Mike Loxley has recruited really well at Maryland. Talia has played outstanding throughout the first the first four weeks, and Rakeem Jarrett, the connection between Talia and Rakeem Jarrett has been dynamic. He's a really talented player that was being courted by Alabama, LSU, ultimately decided to stay home and play at Maryland. And I think that type of attack, if they get up on Iowa early, Iowa's not poised or built to play from behind. And I think if Maryland can jump out early, an upset will be brewing. And where is this game being played, Graham? It is in Maryland. It is in Maryland on a Friday night. College football chaos, renaissance season. Maryland is taking down Iowa. I'm going to go right in with you. My other little pick, my other little pick is maybe, maybe, and I don't even know if we consider this an upset, but how about Arizona – not Arizona State. I lied. I think Baylor is going to beat Oklahoma State. I think they're going to um, go two in – Two weeks in a row? Upset pick of the week. Two, two weeks, weeks in, in a row. row. I think they're going to go into Stillwater and beat them. But I'm, I'm not – you know what? I'm not even committing to that. I'm just saying I'm going to throw that out there as one to look at. I'm going in with you. That was my pick. Go Terrapins. Go Talia, go Mike Loxley. Shep, now you go and give me your upset alert of the week. Man, um, you, we think about Boise State and the powerhouse they've been in the past. I'm taking Nevada over Boise State. This oh, Carson week. Strong. Carson I Strong. Like hey, I'm just telling you that man, he's a, he's a stud. Um, you know, got some hometown heroes from the dot there at Nevada. Um, and I just think I'm taking them for the upset this week. I like it. I like Great it. Pick. Great pick. Because Carson Strong uh, in NFL in the NFL scouting community is looked at as a top quarterback for 2021, that 2021 draft. Um, or not actually be 2022 draft. But I think that's a great pick. And, hey, maybe we'll go two for two this week. We'll have to – um, we'll have to see, and for our listeners, you'll have to come back next week to see how we did. And uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me to recap another great week of college football and to preview what I think is going to be the best weekend of college football we're going to get for the entire year. This week and next week, 
are an incredible slate of games, and I cannot wait to watch them on Saturday. I'm going to be in attendance for the Alabama Ole Miss game. Can't oh. wait to be there and uh, cheer on the tide and witness the top ten matchup go down. But thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to talk ball with y'all. And for our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening to us each and every week. Thank you for your support, the kind words, and uh, it really means a lot to all of us here um, at the Pigskin Cafe. Be sure to follow us on social media if you aren't. Uh, you can find up-to-date showtimes there, some polls, even an opportunity to be a guest picker. You still have time to retweet um, the tweet that I sent out yesterday uh, for nomination or consideration of that. So that would be really fun, really neat opportunity for you. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to us at. You can listen to us on the way to work, on the ride home, eating a little dinner, watching a little football, on a walk. Good for any occasion. Taking a any shower. Occasion. Taking a shower, Graham. Even that. Uh, we just uh, thank you so much for listening. And we can't wait to be back next week talking college football week five recap and recapping the games that we picked this week and previewing uh, week six would – which will have even more stakes um, that will uh, lead the college football landscape uh, very much changed. But until then, the Pigskin Cafe will be closed for now. But until next time, chew on that.